Hello and welcome to Local Legends. I'm Chi, outdoor fitness coach, and I am your host. Local Legends is a conversation with passionate cyclists in Southern California, sharing their stories of pushing through, taking a chance on themselves, and learning and growing to fuel their love for riding. Enjoy my next Local Legend. Happy New Year and hope everybody had a wonderful holiday and brought in the new year with family and friends and got to do something fun outside. Whether a group ride, going to your favorite trails, or just taking a walk outside. And welcome to our third year of Local Legends. Last year, we had an impressive lineup of Southern California riders. From the young juniors, Zach Martinez and Jonas Woodruff, to those behind the scenes, Nate Miller of Tasco and Sam from Rock Cobbler. We met two trailblazers, Dave and Christina from Turner Bikes. We also got to meet world champions. We met Xterra champion, Leslie Patterson, and our last guest and mountain bike legend, Brian Lopes. We also had some strong ladies who are making impact on the community, both Nikki Peterson running the Nevada Mountain Bike League as a director, and Joy McCulloch from Big Wheel Coaching. We also met some solid riders from various disciplines, including pro racer, Izzy King, national road champion, Doug Pomeritz, and pro BMX and four cross legend, Chris Powell. And how can I forget the bike packing mic check episode with three fun, awesome riders, Sammy, Shelly, and Ranger Dave. This episode continues to be the top five listened to episodes of all time from local legends. It's a true privilege to be able to meet and have fun conversations with so many wonderful people with various riding disciplines, backgrounds, and ages. And what gets me more pumped is when we go to events like the Filthy 50 and see the legends all around. Someone recently asked me, Chi, which is your favorite episode? And I can't pick one. Each has their own quality and style, which brings us to episode 36 with Brian McCulloch. I'm stoked to have Brian McCulloch to start the new year and our third season. He is a racer, a coach, a husband, a father, and he has the spirit of a champion. He is a two-time mountain bike marathon national champion. In 2018, he won the Belgium Waffle Ride in San Diego. He also won the Whiskey 50 Off-Road. His racing history stems as a pro road racer, and he currently is a sponsored rider for Envy and rides for Big Wheel Coaching. Honestly, his achievements, both amazing and impressive, don't say enough about Brian. Brian has a drive and a passion to fight and is committed to the process and to the goal. And listen, it's infectious. I got to know Brian after working with his wife, Joy. I was taking my level two USA cycling certification back in 2018. And Joy is one of the coaches coaching us coaches. She is a powerhouse herself. And I encourage you to listen to episode 31 to learn more about her own racing and coaching experience. Through Joy, I got a chance to work with Brian and knew instantly that this person had something to say. He meant what he said and said what he meant. I should also mention that I'm a proud coach and part of the team at Big Wheel Coaching. In this conversation, we go deep into his last win at the Mountain Bike Nationals with talking about his strategy and nutrition. We also talk about his journey with artery endofibrosis, the diagnosis, the surgery, and the recovery. We talk about his training now and how it compares with his road racing days. And he shares insights along the way of being the best and the mindset to press on. Brian and Joy currently live in Yucaipa, California, 
the foothills near Big Bear, and you can see him racing next at the Rock Cobbler on February 10th. Enjoy this conversation with Brian. All right, super excited to have my next local legend, Brian McCulloch. Thank you for being here today and your time. Greatly appreciated. Oh, thank you so much, Coach G. I'm really excited to be here with you. And hello to everyone who's listening. And I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this. And like, uh, hey, if anybody's a legend here, Chi, I think uh, you're, you've got a reputation that precedes yourself. We're at Big Wheel Coaching. We're very thankful to have you a part of the team. And you bring so much to all of our athletes and, and the bigger Big Wheel Coaching squad. So we're thankful to have you. So so thanks for it's exciting to have a little. Uh, we're going to have a good conversation today. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. And anytime I sit down with Brian, let me tell you, we, we get into some good discussion, so I'm excited to have us um, on record for this. Um, so I, I sometimes I start in the very beginning, but I'm going to try yeah. to do this backwards, mm -hmm. which I've never really done. So um, huge congratulations on winning nationals, um, marathon national cost country this year. Huge, huge win. Um, in case people don't know, I want to talk about that race. Um, people don't know what marathon nationals is. Um, can you explain the format, like the distance and where it was and kind of the, like the layout of the, of the race? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So for those, um, there's probably plenty of people listening that, that do know a little bit about the marathon distance, or maybe they competed at the filthy 50 with our friends at quick and dirty. Um, so that's going to be anything that's going to be an endurance distance or a longer distance might be qualified loosely categorized as the marathon distance. Of course, when you start talking about something like a governing body, like the UCI or USA cycling, they have specific metrics that make it, okay, this is a cross country distance. This is a short track, or I should probably start in order. Short track is going to be this cross country is going to be this marathon is going to be this, right? And so when we talk about kind of world-class um, or at least uh, international competition at, at marathon, it's usually like a five-hour race. Just think of it yeah. about that. So the distance is going to vary based on the trails, how much single track, elevation gain, this kind of thing. Um, but in America, it's much more around the three-hour range. Okay. Um, and so it's kind of interesting because what happens at the three-hour range from a coaching perspective, but also from a performance perspective, um, which is why I really like it, is it's essentially raced like a cross-country race. So it's just flat out for three hours. Whereas something when we're going to more like the five-hour range, you know, there's there's a different tactic and that's just kind of a slow grind. Whereas uh, what's happening here and what I really enjoy about the marathon distance um, or excuse me, the marathon marathon style competition is that it's basically raced as a cross country event. Um, so to me, it's like my old road racing days where it's like, you know, it's like a road race. You go hard for three, four five hours or whatever. And that's what it is. Um, so anyway, what uh, USA Cycling Marathon National Championships, they were in Alabama this year. Um, man, I can't. Uh, Darn, I forgot the name of the town in Alabama. But anyway, we'll it was it. really, yeah, we'll find it. But anyway, it was really pretty there. It was Auburn, Auburn, Alabama. And yeah. uh, really pretty college town. I'm sorry to say for everyone listening, I know nothing about football. I know very little about it. Uh, and it's huge for football. And they had this amazing stadium. We got to be in this uh, kind of have USA Cycling got a really cool place for us to kind of check out and do our pre-race meeting and all that. And then we went to the venue. Venue was really cool. It was very, very challenging. A lot of turning. Um and that was unique. Both times I've raced uh, marathon nationals, um, I've won two marathon national championships in the 35-39 age group and then the 40-44. And both times, one was in um, Maryland and the second in Alabama. And I have to tell you, G, it's like, it's such a different thing because when you start thinking about just from a performance standpoint or just from a riding standpoint, like cross country is usually about 20 miles, right? Well, if we're going to double that for the marathon distance, roughly, 
right? Well, what happens is you go to a trail system and there might only be 10 miles of trails, right? So to get to 40 oh. miles, you're doing laps, right? So if you're going to do, you know, a 20 mile race, you kind of get to hit all the cool trails in, in a particular trail system, right? Well, yeah. with the marathon distance, it gets complex. So there's a lot of laps or loops, this, that, the other. So this particular time in Auburn, Alabama, there were three laps of a, uh, what was it? 15 or no, it was two laps. Excuse me. It was two laps. What am I thinking? It was two laps of a 20 mile course. Right. And when I went to Auburn, Alabama, it was, or excuse me, to uh, Maryland, Frederick, Maryland, it was three laps and okay. it was totally different. So the racing itself ends up being kind of like world cup style mountain biking. And so when I, I come from a roadie background and originally I was a, a motorcycle racer, like a motocross, supercross guy. So like everything was on a track. So laps is like, that's Let's my go. jam. That's my opportunity yeah. okay. to learn, relearn, perfect, execute. Right. And I really enjoy that. It's something I've always enjoyed as an athlete, but also uh, being able to do that now um, from a coaching standpoint and help yeah. people do that. So uh, that's why I really like this style of racing because it's like, it gives you the opportunity to do it and do it and do it. And I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but mm -hmm. I do, but I learn by repetition. And so yeah. if I just do it and do it and do it, I get better at it. Cool. That is really good to hear. So with the 20, thank you for that. That was very great description. Um, and even I learned a little bit there, um, with the 20 mile lap, how you kind of alluded to like only 10 miles of trails. Was that what happened or we basically went to this park and we rode every bit of trail you could connect. It was the, it was the most unbelievable. If everyone, you know, if they're bored and they have a few minutes, they could go look up the file uh, from it on Strava. And it is like, the course looks like, you know, it's, it's literally like a thousand turns. It, we were never on a straight and narrow. We were always on the edge of the tires, which from a, again, from a, from a racing standpoint, I was like, it was very difficult. It challenged me because um, as much as I would like to be, considered really good technically and proficiently i mean compared to uh, pure mountain bikers i mean they are just so skilled and so talented and people see this any of the local people listening to this who went to filthy 50 or they go to um, any other races they just know that the mountain bikers are just so skilled and, and i'm absolutely not on that level i would like to someday be on that but uh so that made it very difficult because the guys i'm racing against in my uh, category are very very talented very talented and uh, kudos to them they did a great race but but uh yeah, really the only way that I could compete with them was not by raw speed. I just had to make the bike race hard. And, um, like I had a little talk with my, my strength coach, who's a dear friend of mine, old teammate of mine. And so him and joy, my wife helped coach me and, uh, Sean and joy kind of got together and they were like, listen, Brian, the way you're going to win this bike race, the only way you're going to win this bike race. Cause I was not feeling super confident was, uh, they said, listen, you just have to make it the hardest bike. Like you have to make them decide early if they're going to race bikes. And so we just raced flat out for three hours. And so this going back to the earlier component of the conversation was I was training to race my bike hard for three hours, not to pace myself. Right. And, it, and that sounds fun. Right. But it was like, it was pure suffering. It was very, very hard. Um, it's kind of bike racing. And sadly, like I kind of be, I'm okay at, um, uh, cause I'm not that good and not that fast, but I, I would say that, um, that was a strategy that we had. And so he's like, Hey, you got to just go let it out just go race your bike. And I was like, okay. So from the beginning, we just went wide open and what? it was, uh, it was nuts. Um, so when people line up for nationals, everyone is there to win. Presumably. Right. I mean, why right? would you travel to, I mean, there are certain people that it's local and it's like, well, it's a bike race and it's a Sunday. So why not? Okay. Um, but, but presumably everyone's there to win. Right. I mean, it's, 
it's an interesting format because when you come to a local race, it's different. Like people are like, we're racing bikes. It's okay. It's something to do on a Saturday or Sunday, but there it's like, there's only one thing on the line. You know, there's a couple of medals too, but everyone came for the number one plate, you know? And uh, so those guys are, they're peaking, they're at their best. And that's really what uh, inspires me really is like, I want to be the best I can be. And then I want to test myself against people when they're at their best and then evaluate it and see how we can get better. So um, how many people, I'm assuming they, your group, 40, 40, 44, is that what you said? Yeah, 40, 44. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it's not like two minutes apart. I have, a, I assume that it's like proper, dis, like there's not a lot of other people on the course besides you guys or no? Oh, good question. That's a, that's a great point, Coach. She's very insightful. That's very, I can look at you. That's very important how we prepare for that from a coaching standpoint, right? We have to prepare our athletes for that. Yeah, it was, um, it was not like that, believe it or not. It was, um, so there's a little bit of, um, they change it every year. USA Cycling uses a metric, at least to the best of my understanding, USA Cycling uses a metric based on the average speed of that category, that age category. And that's kind of how they rank things. Okay. So for example, like, the 19, uh, excuse me, the 17, 18s went first. Okay. Well, the pros go open category. They go first 17, 18s, then 19, 29s, or excuse me, 19, 29 went first, then 17, 18s. And then it just started going up. Right. And so I was, I think 20 minutes, I think, or 18, 12 or 18 minutes. I can't remember start behind the leaders. So we had a tremendous amount of people in front of us. And so that was another reason why we had to go hard from the start and had to be ready to go hard from the start. Because as you know, and any mountain biker will tell you, you know, when you're in single track and this was mostly raced on a single track course, as we're approaching and coming up on people, it's kind of like, I try to as much as I can to be, you know, courteous to the other riders because they're racing (laughs) as well. Right. And you just kind of want to be like, Hey, on your left, Hey, on your left, but I have five guys on my wheel, you know? And so I I try also try to be like, I would, if I was third wheel, I would hope someone would make room and not get separated from the race, you know? And so I'm like, Hey, room for two or group coming. Right. But like at the end of the day, I want to be in control of that. Um, And again, that's another reason why coach Sean and coach joy were like, Brian, you got to let it out. You just have to go hard from the start. And so I raced, um, raced like a cross country race. Cause I wanted to be able to make passes and dictate the pace. Um, and that was, that was okay. Cause I trained like that, but actually I got thrown off because one of the other riders, a Texas roadhouse guy, I can't remember his name right now. Real nice guy. We always shredded the field. Um, where again, whereas I had kind of thought I'm going to ride my pace, ride a hard pace, but like, it's at least my pace. I'll at least be in control. Cause we're on single track. Well, he was not having that. And so he just went bananas and passed me and, uh, which is what he should have done. Right. And so when he did that, I was like, all of a sudden I was like, back seat in the chair, you know, I'm like, I'm a passenger now. Um, and thankfully I was able to keep pace with him. And then when he softened up a little bit, I just passed him back and was like, no, we're going to keep it on. Right. And, um, I think that's important for people who are listening and who, who enjoy racing, you know, you have to be able to answer. It's super important to answer when somebody's attacking you or someone's maybe don't take it personal, by the way. Hey, for anybody who's listening, like I tell my athletes all the time, like, don't take it personal. Someone's not attacking you. They're attacking. They're trying to take a lead. They're doing something like that. It's not personal. Stop it. You know what I mean? But uh, so you have to be able to answer. Right. And, and maybe answering is sitting on the wheel. Maybe answering is just holding the wheel, taking pace, or maybe the answer is counterattacking. Right. Uh, and so it's really important from a coaching standpoint to talk to people about the, the tactical side of things and the strategic side, because we're, it's like a dance, right? You go into a single track section and someone else is leading. 
they're in control, right? They're leading the dance. And so you're following and that can be either good for you or that can not be good for you. And so. What um, about, okay. I, quick question. How many people were, how many men are you competing against? 40, 44. Is there like 20 people, 10 people, yeah, 50 people? I think it was like 23, something like that. Okay. It was like 23. It wasn't huge. It wasn't huge. No, no, And no. then one situation, I'm curious if this happens for you guys, where you're trying to pass and the person in front doesn't want to let you pass. Is that, is yeah. that, that happens. Yeah. I mean, you got to think again, we were, we were a very fast group on, on the course. And so we are passing very good bike riders, right? I think I passed all the way up to like seventh in the 19 to 29 range. Ooh. And they started, you know, 15 minutes in front of me or something like that, right? Damn. 12, something like that. So we were going, we were moving, we're passing very, very capable bike riders, you know? And so when you're passing them, it's like, I always try to have like a degree of like humility and just be like, Hey bro. I'm on yeah. your left because you don't know where they're at. Are, have they been dropped? Have they are having a bad day? Are they feeling sorry for themselves? Are they going to be nice to me? Look, I, this can be a very quick transaction. If you just slightly move to the right, I'll just keep going and we'll be both on our way, right? But it takes two to tango, right? So I always try to lead with a little bit of kindness um, and hope for it. Um, but sometimes you do get a person who's difficult, who's like, hey, I'm racing and I'm going to hold you behind me. I'll let you pass when it's okay for me. And so that happened quite towards the end of the race, um, I caught a guy and I was like, Hey bro, like I gotta go. Like I gotta go. And he's like, he's like, you can pass in a minute. And I was like, no disrespect, man. But like, I'm going now. And he was like, what? And I, he just like, when he looked, I was just gone. Like, bye dude. Like, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I don't have time. Our race is on and your race, you're, you're not passing anybody. I'm, you know, let's, let's get this transaction over with. But you know, he was not. Wow. Happy. That's exciting. He, Exciting. That's well, I, I don't know. He probably wasn't happy with me, but I was like, look, dude, I came here for one thing and I'm not about to let it, you know, I came here for one thing and I'm completing that task. I'm executing and conquering and I'm moving forward and I will not be deterred. Right. And and so outside of, you know, I didn't want to do anything negative. Yeah. Right. But I was like, if he, he gave me the slightest little bit of room, I was out of there. Bye. Yeah. Um. So was there a point where the decision, the race was made where you, I don't know if you ever know you have it in the bag or was it a race to the very end or was there a place where you're like, if I go now, I got this. Like when, when was it, how did that work out in tact tactly? Yeah. Uh, great question. It's, I would, I need to set the table for everybody because or so go back to the yeah. course yeah. and the course is like turns back in on itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are points when you're out of sight, out of mind and everyone's riding their own pace. And so the other, the, the guys chasing me, they're about two minutes or maybe I can't remember exactly about two minutes behind me. Right. You can lose two minutes like that. All I have yeah. to do is crash. And I mean, slide I out, bend a bike, flat tire, do yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? Um, and so uh, long story short is, there was a time when all of a sudden the way the course looped back on itself, I could see the guys and oh. I could, I could not remember. And I know they could see me. It's one thing when, when I can see them, it's different for when they can see me because now they're evaluating progress. They are looking at me. And so listen, this is about body language, mentality, mindset, all these things matter. Right. And so it's like, I need to look like I'm great. I need to look great. <laughs> right. And, and I'm not trying to say like, I'm lying, but cause I wasn't right. I was like cramping everywhere. My feet, my toes were like cramping. My hands were cramped onto the bars. Like I could barely use the brakes. One time I like went through a corner and like, I literally like slid the bike's friends, like slid out and a tree caught me. Like I was like, whoop, <laughs> tree caught me, bounced me back up. And I kept going like, 
right? And so everybody's cramping, right? But in that moment, I want you to put yourself in that moment for a second. You know, you've been racing for two and a half hours. Sudden, suddenly, you know, you're kind of on autopilot. You know, you may be taking a mental break. I really try hard not to take mental breaks and really just clock in for the duration of the workout or the race. And when you're there, all of a sudden you see something that disrupts that and you're like, oh, are they catching me, right? Are they, you know, that's taking my focus away from being the best I can. Right. And so it's like, I just have to bring it back to be in that moment, be present and say, okay, I have to fight. I have to push, I have to push, I have to push, you know, um, you have to come back to why you're doing it. Cause you, your body's telling you to stop. Right. We've been going really hard. And, and so come to find out the reason I'm telling you all this is I didn't think of it in that moment, but, uh, in that moment I was like, oh, those guys look good and I don't feel good. So this is not good. They're probably coming for me. Right. I ended up talking to the second and third place guys after the race. They're really nice men. Very, very good bike riders. And they were like, dude, we were coming undone. We were so blown. We were just cramping everywhere. Like we just, you know what I mean? They're, they're trying to do the same thing I'm doing. They're just trying to be like, hope that I look worse than them. Right. But in my head, my little pea brain was like, dude, look at them. They look solid. You're coming apart, old man. You're coming apart. And so it's like, you have to fight that demon super hard. And I, and I hope if there's one thing that people can take from this podcast and our time together is like that, that, that voice in your head, you have to fight it. You have to fight it back. Right. And some people just don't have it. Some people don't have that in their brain. I do. And uh, I have to, yeah, be like, no, dude, shut up. I don't care what you say. We're going as hard as we can. They're going to have to like pry me off this bike, you know, and it worked, it all worked out. So it was good. You know, I was really, really proud. My wife, Joy could be there. Um, she's a huge part of, you know, why I'm here doing this today. And, and uh, I, yeah, it was, it was really cool to to do that. And we had like 10 of our big wheel coaching athletes there um, yeah. total competing. And we had a couple that were on the podium. We had four on the podium. So it was a lot of just to do it and to be there with everybody. That's really, to me, what I love about bike racing is the experience and doing it with other people. Um, bike riding itself has really brought me in, like to meet and interact with and hang out with and call people, my friends that are like really talented, hardworking, mm-hmm. great, great, great people. And so that's why I'm still in the sport after all these years, right? It's the, it's the people, right? And so to me, having a great experience at a national caliber event with great people, right? Like, I mean, our athletes are, I mean, they are so hardworking, work super hard, good people, right? Like they obviously got jobs and they got kids and they got all the things going on, but they really pour themselves into their bike riding. And uh, so I'm thankful to be able to be there and be a part of their success. And, and obviously to have some success personally as well as like, you know, I, I enjoy that quite a bit. So it's a nice well, blend. So that is an amazing recap of that race. That was you know, sometimes you don't know how to recap a race, but I think that really sets the stage and really shows the kind of athlete you are and what you have to, what you go through to hear about your cramping of your fingers and your toes. And, you know, um, that's, and your mindset, that's, that's really great insight. So thank you for, for sharing, sharing all those, um, tidbits. Um, one thing that I always love talking to you about is your eating um, oh my eating okay. I love you know I love talking about eating people know me I'm always eating I love eating so this is good I love eating uh fuel food is my friend for sure humor me or kind of shed some light I mean you know we we know we should be eating carbohydrates um on the bike for races this is a high intensity race you said XC so the stomach is not taking a lot of blood the blood is going to the muscles mm-hmm. um and your heart obviously so what do you, what do you do and what have you learned 
to fuel yourself? Like, okay, so what did you eat for this national marathons and, and why did you pick that? Yeah, I, I just eat maple syrup. That's <laughs> just what I drink. I guess you could say I don't eat it. I drink it. Um, yeah. And that's not terribly like, that's not super unique. Some, some people listening are probably like, what? Never heard of that. But then a lot of people know Lionel Sanders, who's a very, very exceptional triathlete. And he kind of does that. He actually has a business that does it now, I believe. Um, years ago, my old coach, Neil Shirley is a dear friend of mine. He, um, he did unbound when he was my coach and he did the 200 mile at unbound. And he was, when I was a part of his preparation, he was talking about doing liquid calories. And I was like, Oh man, that's crazy. Right? Like, how are you going to have liquid calories? And that was kind of when I was baby, baby just started coaching. Um, anyway, so at that time I was a roadie, um, racing on a domestic pro team and we, um, you know, we use gels, but sparingly because they really tasted not good. Right. And they were just like, felt like it was like, you had like a, I don't know, like a mouthful of frosting or something like that, you know, it's just not cool. Um, but anyway, so over the time we've just been working towards more and more carbohydrate. Um, you know, I'm sure people, I'm, I'm going to assume that people have list, listening are, you know, they're up to speed on that stuff. Some of us probably are not, but the long and the short of it is, you know, the goal is really hundred grams of carbohydrates per hour. You can say 80, you can say even, you know, 120, but like somewhere in there, you know, between 80 and hundred grams of carbohydrates per hour is the goal. And the, the only way to really get that, in fact, I was going to see if I have a, Oh, I have a, I have a little energy bar here. So total carbohydrates, 40 grams. Okay. So if I were going to eat this little bar here, and I wanted to get 80 grams per hour, I have to eat two of these per hour. So imagine chewing two of these per hour in a, in a cross country race. It's just, he, he it's was a, holding up a cliff bar. So if anybody's ever yeah. eaten a cliff oh, bar sorry. on a race, you know that it, it tastes like, I mean, they do a good job. So no <laughs> offense to cliff, but they taste like cardboard and you just almost gag. If, well, know. and it takes a lot of water to wash it down, right? Yeah. You got to think the actual, the, the chewing process takes uh, saliva and that's obviously, you know, you're dehydrated when you're going this hard anyway. So we want to just ease the digestive system a little bit. And that's really the, the theory behind going liquid nutrition is that, um, you want to ease the stress and strain on the digestive system. And so then we just start looking for simple carbohydrates that are very useful. I mean, there's obviously, um, honey, you could go that way, or there's, uh, there's lots of great products, really. Actually, a lot of our athletes, one of the fun things about being a coach is we're basically running an experiment lab all the time, right? Like some yeah. people are like, Oh, I really like this. Never second stuff. Some of the other people are like, no, 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 no. Morton, Morton's the way to go. And the other yeah. people are like carbo rocket, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever. So it's just really interesting um, to see kind of where everybody fits. And I've tried all those products. I've tried infinite flow. I've done all that. And some of it's really good. Um, but I just found I that found like, honestly, um, when I started trap, when I've obviously been traveling to races for a long time. So it's like, I hate like weight. Okay. This is where this all came from. The reason okay, why I chose maple syrup is because weight is a big deal in your bike bag. Okay. So when I went to my first mm -hmm. national championship marathon, uh, mountain bike in Frederick, Maryland, we had to put, I came a week early cause I knew the course was terribly technical and I'm not very good at that. So I just wanted to do laps, laps, and laps, and laps, and laps. Okay. And I had to figure out like, I can only take this much weight. Right. So why bring, you know, 10 pounds of powdered stuff that I'm going to put in my drink mix, right. Or, or make stuff right. Or buy it there when it's super expensive and may not be the kind that I like. Mm -hmm. So I started experimenting with maple syrup because I can get maple syrup anywhere. 
yeah. right? So I have these little flasks, these little hammer nutrition flasks. They're great for this. Um, and I tried a bunch of different options um, how to do it. But anyway, I just put it in there and I add water to water it down just a nickel. And then it's just like, poof, I've got a hundred grams of carbohydrates in one of these little things, another one. And so I just like, I'm like, there's one hour, there's two hours, there's this, that, the other. And Bob's your uncle. You're good to go. So yeah. And Bob's your uncle. So anyway, uh, long story short is maple syrup's my preferred. I I definitely still use gels and I still eat bars and this, that, the other, but we're racing. I use maple syrup a lot. Um, And again, that's just because I can get maple syrup from Walmart. Yeah. Do you, um, this is kind of like a, a minutia question, but do you try to get the stuff without the corn syrup, like the pure stuff? Great question. You know, thank you. Thank you. Good designation. Um, when I'm saying maple syrup folks, I mean, you, it doesn't have to be organic, but it does need to be maple syrup. So when you look, when you look on the, and I I didn't know this, right. And so it's funny. Okay. So now all we have at the house is like Kirkland Costco (laughs) maple syrup. Right. And so like Seamus is like just pouring this stuff. My son Seamus is pouring it all over his, his waffles and pancakes and whatever, you know, but, uh, back in the day we grew up with like Aunt Jemima or, uh, or log cabin, right. That is not syrup folks. Please do not. Uh, interesting side note. I did get, uh, paid once to try and chug, uh, log cabin syrup, but that was when I was in high school and I didn't actually win the money. So talk about like precursor to this life. Like you it's all forecast. It's a, it's a foreshadowing. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, and then last question about nutrition, just cause uh, again, I'm just like putting in my head, like, how did that work? How do you, uh, what about the electrolytes? Did, did you, is that something that you take during the nationals? Yeah. yeah um, yeah. Again, I, I'm going to assume that people listening have experimented with their own stuff, um, but I'll tell you what I like and, and kind of what our athletes like. Um, but for for me, uh, we've been using the flow stuff that works pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that stuff, all everything is just expensive, right? I'm always trying to figure out how I can do it um, for less. And really, the, the, the issue is really sodium and electrolytes mm-hmm. and being able to get intake a lot of that. So I really try to, if I'm racing mountain bikes, I'll, I usually wear a pack. Um, mm-hmm. One of those use way packs is very, very useful because I can put uh, the, the, the electrolytes in that. And that okay. allows me to then have carbohydrate plus electrolytes. Um, yeah. there's a number of different products that try to blend both, but I've not found one. And, and if somebody knows of one and they'd like to refer it to me, I would really appreciate that. But I've not want found a product that I really like as far as has all the electrolytes and, uh, the carbohydrate and can replace the maple syrup. So I just do two things. And yeah. so uh, an old, an old thing from Stacy Sims, uh, Dr. Stacy Sims is great. If anybody has the opportunity to read any of or listen to any of her stuff, she's fantastic. But she used to say, uh, one of the coaching presentations I went with her, she used to say food in the pockets, electrolytes in the bottles. And, you know, that may have been like almost 10 years ago when, when I was sat in that presentation with her. Um, but I still believe it, it works really well and I don't need to change it that much. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can buy a fancy foo-foo product or I could just get maple syrup and put a couple of electrolyte tabs and something and good to go. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Good. Uh, it's easy to remember too. Yeah. So a year ago today ish, you were in a different place. Yeah. Um, yeah I'd say- you were not racing nationals. You were um, recovering from a major surgery. Is yeah, that right? I, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I had uh, iliac artery endofibrosis. For, so it's fast. a mouthful. I'll definitely put this in the show notes. So, um, just to go back a little bit more, what was happening that you had to have? Well, I guess tell people what it is. Yeah. Um, and then go back on like how the symptoms came up because that's interesting. Great. Great. So uh, iliac artery endofibrosis. Um, so endofibrosis just means scarring of the artery. And what happens with with um, 
arteries, they're different than your skin, for example. So skin, the outside is the scar, right? The inside is not necessarily scarred. Um, but on an artery, the if you've got to think about it like it's a pipe, it's build up on the inside of a pipe. So much like your pipes in your house, there's a clog, right? And so where the iliac artery is, it comes out from where your spine is, right? Um, right by your lumbar spine. And then it heads towards, it becomes your femoral artery and it goes down the inside left of your groin. It's very, uh, not very common, but it is common in cyclists and it's typically on the left side. And what happens is there causes a pinching. Okay, so from, it's, not well studied, I guess, but it's studied enough to know what they can do with it. Um, but anyway, some people theorize that it's because of a, a thickening or a strengthening um, a hypertrophy of the psoas muscle, the iliopsoas muscle. And okay. so because we're cyclists and that's a hip, that's a fit hip flexor for us, ours are very developed. They're very tight and they're right by this artery. And so it can happen where it just pinches the artery. Okay. And so what happens is I'm riding along and my left foot is numb and like painfully numb. We're not talking about like, I just can't feel anything. We're like, we're, I want you to think um, the, the word the doctor used was ischemic. And essentially I was creating an ischemic or without oxygen um, situation or environment for my muscles. So last year um, I raced, uh, well, I guess it was 2022. I raced the majority of the season um, with well, I had this condition for a while. It just it progressively gets worse, essentially. Um, but I, I got the diagnosis, and I still had to do Leadville. Um, I was contracted to do Leadville and um, the Steamboat uh, uh, SBT um, big route. I think it's what 144 miles, 150 miles, something like that. And you did those back to back because the Leadboat Challenge um, and a couple other things. So uh, you know, I had to do all that with when by the time they did the surgery, I was 70 percent blocked in my left leg. Um, so I did that with essentially one and a quarter legs, you know, um, which whatever, I mean, I, I'm not asking for, for, I'm not saying sharing that for any sort of like sympathy. I'm just saying like, it was pretty dumb and I just kept going because, well, I had a contract and it's really important for me to fulfill that. And I wanted to do the best I can. So we came up with some very interesting training methods, um, and ways for me to be able to continue to train and to be able to perform, um, what I would say is reasonably well, um, despite having a significant impairment. Right. And, uh, we did that basically because I knew we did enough testing, um, between joy and Sean and myself, um, where we found out that basically once my heart rate got over about 150, I couldn't feel my foot. Right. And so I would just ride it, you know, between like 140. Yeah. I was gonna say 149. <laughs> right? But the point is you ride. So what I would do is I knew where that was and I would ride all year, okay. like close to that. And that means I had to let the group go. So whenever I'd be with a group, you know, I would just have to let them go. Right. Or I, or unless I could, I would really study the courses because if I could ride at 150 for a short period of time and my leg would go numb, but if I would get rest and I could get my heart rate down to 120, then uh -huh. I could do it. Right. So I knew I was, it, it was great from a coaching standpoint, but also from an athletic performance standpoint, because I basically course studied everything incredible detail because I knew that I would, okay, this is what I was, I can push beyond for this long. And there's like a grenade in my hand. And if it goes off, I have to stop. This is not good. Right. Um, so anyway, it was, it was a really brutal thing to go through. Um, and so I ended up having surgery for it. Funny story is, people don't really know what it is. 
right. As far as when they're experiencing, they're like, well, all of a sudden it's like performance diminishment. So a lot of my friends um, and buddies were just like, dude, you're just getting old. Like you're 40, you're like you're almost 40, dude. Like it's okay. You're slowing down, calm down. And, and I kept sharing with my friends. I was like, no, something's, something's wrong. Right. Something's like, I know my body. Well, something's wrong. I don't know exactly what's going on. Right. And then like literally from the beginning, my wife is super sharp. She was just like, you have iliac artery and fibrosis. She's like, yeah, but she didn't know. We didn't know the name. She's like, you have that thing. You have that thing. I know you have that. And I was like, that's not even a real thing. Right. Like, and she's like, yeah, a bunch of my friends have had it. You idiot. You know? And I was like, oh, okay, fine. So anyway, you know, flash forward six, seven months, it took to get the diagnosis, you know, and I got the diagnosis and the guy's like, Hey dude, I've never operated on somebody that had like three inches of this done. He's like, they, you know, he's like, I've had similar blockages for shorter distance. He's like, I don't know how you have three inches. So anyway, I ended up, it was a really brutal surgery and yeah. What made you decide that, um, uh, apparently it sounds like you didn't know what it was and then, okay, you started going, well, maybe it is. What made you put a pause button and going, I need to get this addressed. Was it like, okay, there's a gap in the race season or was it like, I can't even walk or you couldn't sleep. Like what happened that you were like, I got to get this addressed. Yeah. great, Great question. And I hope for everyone listening, um, Look, everybody has challenges, okay? Everybody's fighting something. Everybody's trying to overcome something, right? Maybe it's a physical thing, maybe it's not, right? And so I think the real challenge for us as athletes is trying to do things concurrently, right? It's easy. I could have just said, whatever, I'm not right, I'm stopping. And plenty of athletes do that and and that might be the right choice for them. But um, at that that time, um, I had a contract with Bianchi and I was, they really saw an opportunity for me to be, both a coach and an athlete. And that's something I've been working for for a long time because I love competing, but I really, really love supporting others and helping them achieve their potential. And so I'm I'm actively trying to meld both of those things together. And Bianchi saw that. And so I didn't want to say, hey, Bianchi, thanks for the opportunity, but I've got to take a break. Like I need to fulfill my contract to them, right? And, and again, all of them are very great. They're great people. And they would have said, Brian, take all the time you need to take care of your health right? They would have done that if I would have asked, but I didn't, I didn't, I, I just, it was a little challenging because they really wanted more from me results wise. Right. But they were never, they were never frustrated with me because of it. And I, and we, I didn't know, I didn't know mm-hmm. at that time we, we thought, but until it was, I think I got the, the diagnosis, I think in, I think it was the week before, uh, maybe it was the week before I went to Leadville. Yeah. I think it was like the week before I went to Leadville, I knew. And so like when I raced sea otter, for example, right they, they were like, man, we were really hoping you were going to be like top 10 guy. And I would think I was whatever, 17th or something like that. And I was like, well, sorry, you know, I mean, I, I, at that time I did, I thought I might have it, but I didn't know, you know, but um, anyway, so the reason I, I kept going was because I didn't have a hundred percent diagnosis. Cause it's really a diagnosis by uh, you have to kind of rule things out because okay. you could have, a, you could have a nerve problem, uh-huh. right. You could have um, some sort of muscular uh, issue, you know, you could have a pinched nerve. There's a number of things that act similar to this, right? And so you don't, I, I can't stress this enough. You don't want this to be the the route you have to go because this surgery, they go in through your belly, they cut you open just like you're having a C-section. So men, you're going to have that scar that's from belly button to the, you know, junk. Uh-huh. Yeah, big Jim and the twins or whatever, but um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay. But anyway, so they, you know, they move your guts are in a sack and I'm not 
like a medical guy, but this is the way they just, they just move it to the side. They move it to the side and then they go straight back to that thing and they clamp it, cut it. Like that's for, that's the biggest artery. Like you could die. It's bad. Like there's people that have had the patch. They put a, they put what's called a, a vein patch angioplasty. So they take a vein from your other leg, cut it out of you, put it over here. Like think of it like a baked potato coming out of the oven. You know, it's super hot on the inside. And so they cut, you slice the skin on the baked potato, exposes it, all the white stuff inside the baked potato is the scar tissue. You scrape all that out. They lay the 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 vein patch over the top. So it's kind of like a piece of cheddar cheese and lay it over the top of that baked potato and then they stitch it back together. But that's your main artery. Like it's everything. If that thing pops or springs a leak, you're dead. Like you will bleed out. You could be in the hospital and bleed out, right? So it's like, you got to, the recovery is like, you're not doing anything. And so this, the doctor I had, he was amazing. He did such a good job. Um, and, uh, I really have him and his, um, believe it or not, his insurance gal, I have them to thank for being able to do it because it's not a common uh, surgery. And, and, uh, Marla is her name. She was like, you know, we just sat down with her and explained like, this is how we make our living. This is how we do things. Like she's like, okay, we'll figure out how to make it work. And bless her heart. She did you know, Marla. So Marla, if you're ever listening to this, just know that the McCullough family owes you big time, you know, so we wouldn't be here without her. But uh, anyway, so it's pretty serious. So I really want people to think like, you do not want this diagnosis. And if, and if you do have it, there are many, many, many other treatment protocols that you should explore before doing it. Um, one of the ones that I tried was um, I tried uh, FST or, or a fascial stretch stretching technique. And I've tried a number of different uh, issues to get my iliopsoas to lengthen and get out of the way and to, and to, do, and to uh, relieve some pressure in that mm -hmm. area. And I could not do, I could not find any treatments other than surgery. And that might be because mine was advanced. Um, and hopefully I certainly hope that as this knowledge comes out about this condition and it happens that they can find non-surgical techniques. I know I've talked to a couple of other people that have, have done non-surgical things and it worked. And in fact, the doctor told me, he's like, Brian, you're 40. Why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, my likes. I yeah, got a national it, champion to win. Well, yeah, I mean, friend, hopefully a couple more. Um, but um, yeah, so that was the deal. So I, I really want to share with people like, you know, I got two really gnarly scars from it and I don't mind too much because I got a whole bunch of other scars from doing dumb stuff in my life. But like, it's not something you want. I mean, it kind of gets fashionable because you hear pros kind of talking about it. Oh, this, that, the other, but it's a very invasive surgery. It's very risky. And um, you, you need to make sure that you are doing it. The, the actual vein patch itself is actually very easy. So doctors do that all the time. Like, yeah. like there's really good doctors that can do that, but it's the area yeah. and the access and the risk because it's your main artery. I mean, it goes from, it's the biggest one. It's the very first pipe that comes off your main artery. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's a bad deal. So don't get it is what I'm saying. Don't. Um, and no tingling, no after effects. Um, no, no, not right now. Like I'm actually pretty good, surprisingly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm like knocking wood. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sometimes I have like ghost pain in there and I'm like, oh, Joy's yeah. like, it's, fine. it's going to be okay. But no, I, no, it's honestly, I'm very thankful. It's good. As far as I can tell, it's good. I mean, yeah, I can hurt myself pretty good. So that that's good. That, yeah. Well, good. I, um, yeah, that was really crazy to see. And I just remember last year during the Filthy 50, you were um, passing out the bottles while Joy was racing. And so, yeah. Um, just, I just remembered it was about a year ago. 
I love to know what you do to um in, to keep training at the level. And then I also want to know like how do you keep yourself healthy um through the seasons? So um like for example, this week, how many hours do you train? I mean, I guess it's off season, but like let's say in a big season, like to train for Leadville. What does that uh, look like? I, I usually train, you know, 16 to 20 hours a week. That's just Right. And then, so for most people, they're probably going to think that's a lot and it is a lot. Um, but for, for a comparison, um, when I was racing for elevate, um, on the domestic pro team, uh, basically my, I had a coach at that time. Um, it was like, Hey, there's magic in every mile. And he just let me roam and, uh, right, wrong or indifferent. Uh, I was doing 30 hour weeks, you know, like, and I don't mean like I did one. I mean, like you could go back, look at my Strava. I did like weeks and weeks i did a 38 hour week when i got back from the tour of taiwan i think that was in 20 holy that was 2017 smokes. or something like that yeah yeah like it was a lot of riding um and so all that does you know you wonder why i have an overuse injury like a uh, iliac artery fibrosis you wonder okay but anyway um so my point is like to me i feel like i'm like kind of just not really training that much um but it is a lot to train that much um and what i would share with people is like you know, what keeps me motivated is having goals, right. And, and, and setting targets. What I'm, what I'm focused on in my life is I want to seek mastery in something. Okay. I could very easily just switch and be like, well, Hey, I want to get good fishing or whatever. You know what I mean? There's plenty of other activities that take a lot less time and they're not that, you know, challenging. I get into pickleball, right. Whatever. Um, but I want to seek mastery and I'd like to be the best I can be. And so rather than having um, novelty and something new. I keep doing something again and again and again, because there is actually novelty in the repetition because I'm getting better and better and better at understanding my body. And that's something as a coach, I always try to help my athletes. I want to teach them situational awareness, but self-awareness, right? That's really important to have that self-awareness because I wouldn't have known that I had an issue. I would have just said, Hey, I'm I'm not riding very good. Let's just get out of this. Let's go something, do something different. Like, right. Let's go race, let's go race go-karts or something like that. Like where I'm not that the motor. good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds expensive, but it sounds fun. Fast. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so really the, when I look at training, I try to follow the polarized method as much as I can, which is a lot of easy, a lot of easy riding. Um, and a lot easier than most people think what I learned when I was racing. Um, well, back when I was on the road, uh, Justin Williams was a teammate of mine. I was his lead out guy for a number of years. It was, it was super fun. Um, he was, he, he actually helped me win a, a road state, uh, championship, uh, one year. Um, that was pretty cool. But, um, anyway, the thing that I learned from my sprinters on the team. Uh, so you got to remember when I was on the road team, I was a domestique. I was the worst guy on the team. Physically, I was the worst guy on the team, like by a pretty wide margin. So I just was like, I'm going to out train them. So that's why I was doing 25, 30 hour weeks is because standard domestic road guys are probably doing 20 hours, sometimes a little, um, a little more, but nobody's really doing 25. And I really was like, well, this team could go to pro Conti status or pro continental, which would be like, that's almost to the tour de France, you know? Um, and we were hoping that we were going to get to that level and I wanted to be on the team. So I'm like, I'm not as good as everybody. So I'm just going to outwork them. Right. And so I just would ride and ride and ride and ride. Um, Can you just pause for a quick, just in case, because I do try to encourage people who from different disciplines to 
I think they enjoy listening to different types of other disciplines. What would you say is the main job of a domestique? Oh, well, I'm just a helper. That's what I do, right? So my job, um, again, so just a real brief piece about what domestique means. It means the helper. And so for those people that watch the Tour de France, they see the domestiques. But you probably see a lot more like, oh, Sepp Kuss, because he was the climbing domestique. But uh, I never had the good fortune of being that because I'm a terrible climber relative to the really, really good guys. Um, and so I would just like, I'd go get bottles for the guys in the middle of the race. I'd go okay. on the blaze. I'd go get, um, you know, like, sounds crazy, but like I had guys in the tour of Utah that would be like, Brian, I need a flat Coke. And you think, okay, well, I'm just going to go back to the car and get a flat Coke. But it's like, I have a radio. And so I'm like, hey, director, Paul, I need a flat Coke, you know? And then I go back and it's not like the race is not on, I'm, you know, the race is on. And so now I have to go all the way back to this car, get this thing. No way. Bring it up to them. I'm like a little delivery service. Right. Um, and then, you know, by the time we're there, then he's like, okay, well now it's time to get to the front because the climb is coming and I've already been like drilling it. Right. And so a lot of stuff like that. And I really enjoyed it. I don't want you to make it sound like, like people abuse you because that's not the case. Right. It's just a hard job. It's a hard job. And I like to get in the trenches and dig trenches. That's what I like to do. Okay. So, that's good. I just wanted that background. Cause I like, you know, you have an idea of what a domestique is, but I didn't know what it meant for you. Okay. So yeah. you decided I, take their gel, I get their gels or I go get people are running out of food. So I just go back to the car, get them stuff, or maybe they're done with their jacket. And it just, you know, you do a lot of stuff during the race. Like when you're in the middle of the race and someone's like, Somebody needs to set the pace. That's me. Right. Or even at the end of the race, somebody's like, Hey, we need to make sure the breakaway comes back. That's me. Right. And so, um, anyway, so at that time okay. there was room for a domestique on a pro road team. Uh, it's changed. The sport has changed a little bit since then because, uh, UCI downsized, um, the number of team, uh, riders they could have. And so when you went from eight to seven and seven to six, uh, the things you cut, if you're the director, is you can't cut your time trialist, you can't cut your sprinter, you can't cut your lead out guy, and you can't cut your climbers, right? Everybody wants to be a climber, time trialist, or sprinter. No, Not really many people want to be the sprinter, but everybody wants to be a climber, right? And so the guy who's going to get cut is the domestique, right? And I saw that um, coming, and I just was like, that's not going to be me. Right. And I was very fortunate. Um, I was on Elevate and our director, Paul, was just he's a genius, really, really wonderful man. He just he kept me. He kept me on the team. And I, we were the only team that had a domestique. Right. And and it was just such a privilege to be he let he I got to go to a lot of big races and I got to be in a lot of breakaways. I mean, I was breakaway tour of Taiwan. I was breakaways at tour of Utah. You know, I was in breakaways tour of Alberta. And it was all just because, like, he believed that we needed a domestique and someone to like rally the guys, someone to be like, come on guys. Like we got to get to the front now. Like this is going to suck, but let's do it. Right. Like, let's just do it. And I would always just take the, there's a really cool picture of us and you'll dig this. I mean, for those people who like road, you'll dig this when you were racing the tour of Alberta 2017. And I, again, I told you, I really liked course study. So I was always into like, okay, I'm going to find out what's going on. And we had a really good headwind on this sector. And I, course studied enough to know that in like 5k we were going to turn right and get into a gnarly crosswind at that time um human powered health was called optum and they were a rally excuse me they were orange they were rally and so they had the yellow jersey and then the second place team was united healthcare and they were the blue train so there was this orange train and there's this blue train and we're elevate we're literally the last team picked to get into the race everyone's like who are you, you guys are like a bunch of scrubs <laughs> you know and i was like 
I just rallied the boys, got them all together and was like in 5k returning, right guys, we are going to be on the front. We are, cause what's going to happen as soon as we turn into the crosswind, it's going to be split and there's going to be echelon and I'm going to be with my guys. Cause I got you think I don't have the horsepower to be there. They do. So if I put them there, they'll stay there. I might get blown out, but, and probably would, but like, they'll stay there. So there's this really cool picture of me. Like we're the, t- I mean, I want you to think like we're the worst team, right? Like no one wanted to be us. Right. And then we would, we just, we got there first. Like we got there first and everyone's like, who, like, I remember it was on TV and people were like, who is this team elevate? Like, what are you doing here? Like, you can't get in front of the yellow Jersey. And I was like, yes, I can. Cause I will be there first and we will be in the right position. Right. And That's I was like, awesome. What a genius yeah. move. Well, I don't know about that, but like, it was just, you know, Paul had taught me and give me the, like, the cojones to be like, just go for it. If you see something, go for it. And we did it. We did it as a team. I'm not trying to suggest that I did it all by myself, but we did it as a team. It was really, really enjoyable. Cause here we are like playing with the big boys. And I was like, you know, we're fighting above our weight now. So it was, it was fun. It was good fun. How did that race turn out? Oh, we, uh, I, I think we got smashed. I don't think it was very good, but, <laughs> but we had a couple of highlights, you know, and that's, yeah, it's funny, you know, some of the athletes, if you're listening, if you're riding bikes, life isn't all about winning national championships. I promise you, you know, there's a lot of failure and there's a bike riding is really, really challenging. And so what I think is important for us to do um, both as coaches and athletes is to help people see that like small victories matter. You have to celebrate them. Sometimes people are like, Oh man, you know, Brian, you're making too much out of this. You're just cheerleading me. Rah, rah. And I'm like, no dude, literally when I had iliac artery and fibrosis, I had to crawl to the bathroom. I had to crawl to the bathroom. So guess what the celebration was? walking to the bathroom and I was pumped. I was like, cool. Cause I've crawled to the bathroom before, you know? And so that's where I want to share with people is like, dude, so what you get 10th place. That's pretty cool. If that was your best, if you actually gave your best. So in the tour of Alberta, we didn't have a great race, right? We actually got up, we didn't have a great race, but there were a couple of highlights there, something like that, that we could all be proud of. And we all did as a team and, you know, you have to learn from it, grow from it and get better. And eventually the team grew into having the yellow Jersey at the tour of Utah. And that's because everybody worked super hard and they did a great job. And, um, you know, that the, the ethos of that team was that we are going to get better no matter what. And we did, we started as the worst team and finished with a yellow Jersey. So it's pretty cool. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. It was a super cool thing to be a part of. I have to tell you like of James Piccoli and, and Jordan chain and a number of other, my teammates are just, you know, they're still racing and doing a great job, but I was, I was thrilled to be a part of it. I look back very fondly on that time in my life. It was good. Yeah. Um, cool. So let me go back to the question. So how do you get your training in your 16 to 20? You said it's not a lot, but for people to break it down in their heads, they're probably thinking you ride two hours a day, three days a week, and then you put in one long ride. Is that what it looks like? And do you do anything else besides ride? Do you strength train, yoga, swim, yeah. hike? I don't know. Yeah, it's evolved a lot. Um, and I want to talk to people from two standpoints because people kind of know me now and they don't remember when I was working 50 hours a week in the construction business, right? And yes. so I rode 18 to 20 hours a week then, but I was single, right? I was dating Joy. Um, I was single for a long time then I was dating joy. So like, even as a married man, I did that much. I did more, but like when, since we've had a, a son, right. And he's five, my priorities change. Right. And, and the time is complicated. Right. So at this moment where I stand, I work from home and we, you know, I'm my, you can, if anybody's seeing this on YouTube, I'm in my garage and I'm surrounded by bikes. Like this is our life. Right. So it's like, 
get up in the morning. I try to stretch three days a week um, or four days a week. I try to do 30 minutes of stretching and that's, I have to stay disciplined to that because of that condition, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to have a relapse and it does actually happen. So you can get it on the other side or you can get a relapse. Um, and so I'm trying very diligently to make sure I don't get that. So I stretch for 30 minutes, uh, do some yin yoga um, nice. with props and things like that. So I, we can talk about that if you want, but like, I love that stuff. But anyway, um, so, and then I'll ride, you know, I try to ride. I'm trying right now, as I sit talking to you right now, I try to take Sundays as a family day. Mm. Um, that's been very difficult to still get the hours in because I have to move around. I wouldn't say that I'm always successful and I'm probably not going to be able to maintain that long-term. Um, not if I want to continue with some of the goals that I want, but I, I, it's, I can work it out, right? At least if I can make Sunday a rest day. Um, then I can maybe start work on Monday, right? So I could do intervals on Monday. Um, okay. And so I strength train twice a week, mon usually Mondays and Thursdays, um, but it's very short. It's complimentary. It's only about 45 minutes mm -hmm. um, each session. So not, not crazy long, just a couple of movements, get in, do my thing. Um, and then I ride, like I said, 16 to 20 hours a week. It's been a while since I've done um, like consistent 20 hour weeks. I wish I would, could get back to that, frankly, but uh yeah, we just, I would have to say no to a lot of things. And there's a lot of business initiatives that I'd like to do. And I really, I want to make sure I'm giving my best to our athletes and then my son. Um, so 16 to 18 is pretty much more realistic these days. But uh, when I was, you know, married and didn't have kids, it was 25, 30 hour weeks. That's what we did. You know, I would ride at that time. I rode seven days a week. I rode two and a half hour easy rides. This was crazy. I did two and a half hour training for the tour of Utah. I'll tell you what I did training for the tour of Utah. Two and a half hour easy rides, five day blocks, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then one, one block, I did 400, 10,000 foot climbing hundred milers. So I used to measure when I was training for a tour of Utah, I used to be like, if I was riding, there were, I had to get two of three metrics, either 4,000 KJs, right? hundred miles, 10,000 feet, pick two. Right. That's and that's cool. what I, yeah. Well, I mean. Yeah. It just, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Right. I mean, like I thought it was cool at the time, but in hindsight, I wish I was just have worked on my five minute power. Cause then maybe I wouldn't get dropped so much, but <laughs> Hey, Hey, there was a, you know, whatever I was in a lot of breakaways. So it kind of, it worked at some level. Right. Oh, that's good. Okay, cool. That's great. All right. So, so you've won the nationals. I know you did the quick and dirty here in San Diego yeah. about a month ago, a couple weeks ago. So what do you do now? What is um, training look like? Um, do you do off season? Are you preparing for 2024? Like where does, you know, Brian McCulloch transition? What is your mindset this time of year? Yeah. Uh, it's a great question, Coach G. I, um, <laughs> what are your goals, about, Brian? Yeah. What are my goals? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, so for those of you guys who don't know, I, uh, you know, when coach she and I get together, I'm all, we always just have some good banter and should be like, what are your goals, Brian? And I'll just be like word vomit, you know, and <laughs> kind of like figure it out. Right. But, uh, so that's a great question. I, um, I definitely am taking it kind of chill right now. Um, I'm not riding structured. I did, um, I really did a strong push for nationals. It was really important for me for nationals, um, I, this, this year was up and down. I had some, some good successes and I think I rode pretty well, um, in, in a number of places, but I didn't get the result that mm. I wanted. And, um, I, I don't know if anybody else has experienced this where they've like, they worked really hard. They trained really hard. They made a lot of sacrifices and they thought, okay, I'm going to get to X level. And they didn't, 
right? That letdown is really hard. And so um, I have to be honest with everybody, like, like nationals was huge for me. And I was like, I really wanted to do that. And I wanted to be like, okay, I'm back, right? Like I can do my thing. But then we, I kept it going and I trained hard for uh, filthy 50 and I didn't get the result that I wanted. I was really, I think I can be proud of the effort because I certainly, what I call squeeze the lemon, I squeeze the lemon as deep as I could. I, I couldn't go anymore. Six is the best I could do. Um, but if I'm honest, I was a little disappointed that I wasn't more competitive um, at the front. Um, and so what I'm dealing with right now is a little bit of a like letdown, right? And I'm just being honest with everybody. Like I like, you know, I talk to Joy about it a lot. I'm like, man, what am I like? Am I, am I, am I losing my jam? She's like, you just won nationals. What's yeah, wrong you with just you? won you know nationals. I'm like, what's wrong with you? You know, but so that's what I want you to see is like emotions. Emotions will let you down. You know, and I'm talking to you as an athlete. Like I, I, it's different when I'm talking to someone as a coach because I can look at things objectively. But when I'm looking at my own performance, I'm looking at that through the lens of emotion. And when I look at it through the lens of emotion, I'm like, man, I really underperformed. Like, what did I do wrong? Right. And I go back and I look at what I did wrong. And the reality is like, maybe I could have eaten a little bit more. Maybe I could have done things a little bit better. Maybe I could have a little better equipment um, specific for that event, you know, tune it, tune it and dial it in for that uh, maybe. Um, but reality is I gave my best and I came up. I thought I was like possibly a top three guy if everything went right. And I wasn't right. And so it's like, that's a big bummer. Right. And so I'm telling everybody for the off season, there's some people that right now are like trying to go to some last minute events to like make up for underperformance. Okay. It's, you have to let go. It's okay. That's okay. You know, I, I, I have that same desire where I'm like, well, okay, well, I'm going to go to this race. And like, if I can win that, then that season will be good. And it's like, sometimes being part of being an athlete is you set a goal, you work super hard for it. You have to enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause otherwise what's going to happen is you go there and you're trying to get the result. You don't get the result. And then you're left unfulfilled. And when you're left unfulfilled, then, uh, what am I going to do? And so when you're asking about what are my goals for next year, something I'd like to do as a coach, I'd like to have won a road national championship, mountain bike, marathon, mountain bike, XC and gravel. Right. I'd like to win a national championship in each of those. And I feel I'm a little outside my comfort zone by sharing it with everybody oh, no, um, that's great. because I think that sounds like a little, that's pretty ambitious. And so, um, you know, I'd like to do that, you know, at whatever frequency I can work it in. But if I'm going to do that, right. Like I have to be committed to that, which means I have to like stop now and refocus on those goals. Cause filthy 50 is behind me. Right. You have to let it go and move on. And I think that's really difficult for people, for athletes to do, right? If you're a bike rider and you're trying, you know, you're still living like, oh man, six months ago or three months ago, or, hey, back at, you know, I tried for Leadville or whatever, and you didn't get it. It's okay. Right. I think being flexible is so important. She, I can't, because I was supposed to do Leadville this year, right? It was really important. And I, I got sick and I didn't do it. I couldn't, I didn't qualify. I didn't earn it. Mm. Right. But I can't look back and be like, well, what? You know, mm -hmm. like I was sick. What are you going to do? Sickness happens. It's okay. What am I going to do? Not spend time with my wife. You know what I mean? Like it, it, once it's in the, once it's in the household, everybody's going to get it. You know yeah. what I mean? Kid comes home sick. Wife gets sick. Guess who's getting sick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So way it goes, right. What am I going to do? Lock myself in a room by myself. That sounds absurd. Right. Like those are my favorite people. I want to be with them all the time, you know? And, and so, so what with I was, the national titles, how much of those four did you have you won? Uh, I've won two marathon national titles. So I would so like- So you want to go for the cross country, the road, and the gravel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
No, okay. but I, I feel like from a coaching standpoint, it's really important. I mean, I've raced so many different disciplines racing bikes, and I feel that I can deliver as a coach a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge for people, right? For our, for anyone who wants to get better, I feel like we can help them at wherever they're at, right? Like we yeah. coach people from 12 years old to 70, right? Yeah. It's just the way it goes, right? And everybody in between, big people, small people, skinny people, tall people, you know, boys, girls, everybody, yeah. right? Um, like we, we coach all those people. And I just, I feel like the thing that matters most is your event day performance, whether your event is the Saturday group ride, right? The Thursday night gravel ride, sun, sa- Sunday ride, or a national championship or anywhere in between, whatever your goal is, the day, the performance matters, right? So if you want to think about it like ballet, okay? So you do ballet. The performance is what matters. No one yeah. cares how much you practiced. If you didn't have to practice and you could nail it perfect, good on you, right? <laughs> no one cares how many times you fell. Nobody cares how many times you practiced. Right. And so that's where I think of as a coach. It's super important for me to have the broadest knowledge base, to have the best experience, the most experience. Like that's why I'm a little bit of a crash test dummy. Like I've done a lot of things wrong, just absolutely like categorically wrong. Right. But now I can speak from experience that like, hey, yeah, this was not good. Don't do this. Right. Like you don't, you shouldn't be doing 30 hour weeks. I can tell you why. Right. I'll have the scars to show you you know sure um, do. yeah right so again i would say when we start thinking about coming back to underperformance that's really what your question about is right like i felt like there was an underperformance um i felt 50 right just let it go right and i have to work through that so it takes take a break chill out this is a non-competitive phase for me i just don't want to compete i'm going to go race the eight hours of veil this weekend with my wife probably and like that's not racing we're doing that with our athletes for fun right but like I'm going to pick a, pick a, pick a target, probably like the rock cobbler. And I'm going to go start working at it and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll come up with that here. That's actually on my to-do list over Thanksgiving. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I need to take a break. I think it's important for everybody, not just from a, a coaching standpoint, it's easy to say, okay, take a break, but really like in Southern California, it's so difficult because there's so many things to do. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, coach, you deal with it as a coach and an athlete, like you could just do something every weekend and you always yeah. want to be on. You never want to be off, but part of like you, I'm talking to you. Who's listening. You are the motor of your bicycle. Okay. You are not an electric motor. You are not a internal combustion engine. You have ebb and flows with your fitness. It's going to be that way. And the sooner you can become good with the ebb and flow and start to control the ebb and flow as in like, I want to be good at nationals or I want to be good at rock cobbler, or I want to be good at Belgian waffle ride. That allows you to be like, Hey, it's December. I don't have to be good for Wednesday Worlds. It's okay, right? And then we can just go there and we can do the best we can on that day and move forward and treat that as a part of the training process, okay? And I have to come back to those fundamentals just like everybody else, okay? I know that the weather in Southern California makes it seem like, oh, we should just be crazy fit all year round. And there's more and more and more and more events that we have to go to, right? Not have to go to, get to go to, right? But the reality is it's, a, it's one thing to go to an event it's another to go there with super high expectations and to think that you have super good fitness, right? You can't have super good fitness all the time, right? You have to enjoy that ebb and flow. And so to answer your question, I'm trying to enjoy the the, the ebb, trying to enjoy the ebb. It's not easy for me, <laughs> you know, cause I've told you, I'm like, <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to enjoy the ebb right now. That's I, I think that is a wonderful place to end it. I think there's a lot of wisdom there with, um, 
the process and you know setting goals not just that but you know learning from from upsets and um and and being a coach and an athlete at the same time seeing yourself from two different places and having them be both different um yeah that's a lot 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 of good stuff there um coach Brian is there anything else that came up or that I felt like I know we didn't talk about your whole athletic journey from start to yeah, finish, that's fine. but, but we did allude to a lot of the stuff. So we, and that could sure. maybe be another, another discussion. Um, is there anything, anything else uh, departing wisdom? <laughs> yeah. I guess what I would tell people, if you have people in your corner that want the best for you, hold them close hmm. and bring them closer. Okay. If I, I a good friend of mine gave me some wisdom once where he said, I was mad, gave me some direct feedback. And he's like, you know what, Brian, you're the kind of guy where I could give you a present and you'd be mad that it came in the wrong wrap wrapping paper. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that really stuck with me, right? There are people in your life right now that are trying to give you a gift. And that gift can be love, support, kindness, compassion. You know, it can be a good kick in the ass. Sometimes I need a kick in the ass, Right. And don't be mad at what wrapping paper that that gift comes in, right? This is the holiday season. It's a great time to be to be full of fulfilled with gratitude. But just hold your people close that that want you to get better. I feel very fortunate. The reason why I'm sitting here talking to you, Coach Sheet, is because I have people around me who lift me up and like help me get better and don't let me slack on the job, right? They hold me to a high standard. I'm trying to do that for my son, hold him to a high standard, support him, love him, care for him, help him grow into a good young man, right? And as coaches, we get the privilege of doing that for people, right? We get to support them, nurture them, help them through challenging times, but we have to hold them to a high standard, okay? Because if we're not going to hold them to a high standard, who is, right? The folks in the McDonald's uh, drive through line are not going to hold you to a high standard, right? They're just trying to make your life easy and they don't care what the consequences are, Okay. There are people today for you listening who are holding you to a higher standard. Love them, hmm. thank them, and follow through. Pick something that you can do that's challenging, and do it. Start small. Yeah, amen. Well, thank you, um, Brian, um, for all of this. I'm very happy to have you um, as a local legend um, for your performance and honestly, your, your wisdom. So thank you for, for your time today. Oh, coach, she, you know, we love you, your family over here. And we, uh, we feel lucky to be part of your family. Well, you, you always have a, a room here too. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Hello. Hello. And welcome back from this great conversation with Brian McCulloch. Um, hope you uh, enjoyed it as much as I did, as I mentioned before, very, very inspirational and motivational. Definitely um, push it makes me be a better a better athlete and and a coach and really enjoy talking with Brian. Um, so I was really stoked to have him on. Um, and as you can see, in, having people like that in your corner is, is makes a huge impact. And so I'm very very grateful to be to to get to talk to Brian and and to be able to call him um, a friend and and a colleague. So to learn more about Brian, if you want to follow him. Um, he's on Instagram at BMC on bike. You can also follow Big Wheel Coaching on Instagram or follow them. Um, you can go to their website, um, Big Wheel Coaching. 
Um, I wanted to mention something else coming down um, from Outdoor Fitness Coach. I have our second big ass ride coming up on January 13th. Um, these rides are designed to help athletes, uh, specifically those who are doing endurance events, um, dirty endurance events, so mountain bike or gravel. And each month they grow progressively harder in distance, elevation, and um, and speed. So the first one was more of an endurance pace. This next one is similar. It's an endurance pace with a focus on hills, especially with the rock cobbler coming up in mid-February or early February. Really important to be able to have the strength, endurance, and the mental mental fortitude to do these steep climbs. So um, have a great couple of routes. Each big, um, big ass ride has two routes. So imagine if you're doing the wafer and the waffle, they're each going to get progressively longer. So there's um, so that the end of April, if you're training for the wafer, you're prepared for that. And if you're training for the waffle, um, the 140 miles, you'll be prepared for that. So this next ride, is, the short version is between 40 and 45 miles. And the longer version is 65 miles um, with about one to one ratio with elevation. So about 4,000 feet of climbing and 6,000 respectively. So if you're interested and want to learn more, you can go to my website, outdoorfitnesscoach.com and go to events. Um, they are limited 25 riders. I don't necessarily want a huge group. I want it to be more of a intimate group. It's a training ride. So though we do our have, have a good time, we are working and training and fine tuning um, and working on getting ready for, for the races. So anyway, um, if you have any other questions, you can always email me at chi at outdoorfitnesscoach.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day or evening. Thank you so much for joining um, Local Legends. And next month, or sorry, next episode is going to be with Victor Sheldon. I uh, He was my very, very first one. And I had him on more as the quick and dirty race promoter. This time I have Victor coming on as an athlete and you guys are going to enjoy these conversations that we have with Victor. He's um, as great of a storyteller as Brian and shares a lot of his stories, especially about his nationals, um, gravel nationals and world nationals. So have a great rest of your day, everybody. And thank you again.